I take things as they come. Come on. Hello, sweet dorks, and welcome to our podcast, New to Who, a Doctor Who intro cast. Uh, my name is Daniel. I'm Stephen. And I'm Colin. And this is the first episode of what we were calling an intro cast, because we'd like to talk to you about episodes of Classic Who from the, from the series 1963 to 1989, uh, episodes that are our favourites, some of which are our favourites, some of which we just consider to be classics, or uh, good entry points for... Uh, new fans or fans of New Who, the new series, who want to get into the the old stuff but don't really know where to start, which Doctor to start with, which era, uh, and we're here to talk about that. Uh, a few words of warning, uh, this is our first podcast and we don't know what the hell we're doing, so there's probably going to be some, some edits, so if you hear this sound, or this noise, it's from, odds are that it's probably to conceal a terrible edit. Or possibly an expletive, uh, probably from Cole. Yeah, Cole. <laughs> well, we have we are going to start um, soon, and we we're gonna we've got to outline our rules that we're going to have for which kind of episodes we'll choose. We're going to choose one each for each um, episode in the future, and we'll have some ground rules we'll lay down for you. But before that, probably I think we would talk briefly about about ourselves, ourselves, yeah, how we got into who and how we met. Yeah, we'll briefly mention uh, yeah how we got into who, how we met each other. We'll go around the table. Dan, I'll start with you. Um, okay, so guys, like I, I got into Doctor Who in the mid to late 80s. I was watching it with my father, uh, and at the time, Colin Baker was on our <laughs> screens, so he was actually, in actual fact, my doctor. Um, my vivid memory is of Perry turning into a bird. Um, but yeah, I, when I met Dan, it was about eight years ago, uh, I started working in an office where he worked. And uh, we sort of worked out that we had some mutual friends that were in local bands and things. We became friends. We became mates. And uh, yeah, and like we'd grab the odd beer after work and uh, we'd often talk about film and television and music and stuff like that. We're just kind of work buddies, really. Yeah. 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 Haven't really yeah. Gravitate, yeah. Uh, graduated to full-on friendship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, it was one th- during one of these early times where uh, somehow we got onto the subject of Doctor Who and... I think Dan, you may have actually I mentioned. Yeah. I I, re- I vaguely remember that it was you that sort of we somehow got onto the subject of the new adventures, the Virgin New Adventures, yeah. and I vaguely made reference to the Cat's Cradle series, <laughs> and I think realize, realization dawned on both of us then that the other one knew more than they were sort of letting yeah. on. Yeah, anyone who talk, can talk about the New Adventures series of novels between Classic Who and New Who, yeah, you yeah. know you're dealing with someone, yeah, yeah. <laughs> someone so, serious talk. You you almost fell out of your chair. <laughs> and uh, you demanded to know how I knew these titles. I think I never met anyone who'd ever read any of them. <laughs> yeah, well, neither had I, really. Um, so, you know, as we got talking, um, you know, it all became pretty pretty obvious that, that we had a, a history or a past. Um, and you punched me in the arm and said, no one we know can ever know about this. Uh, <laughs> now we're podcasting. Now we're podcasting it. So, you know, yeah, congratulations. Uh, <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I guess that's how, how I met you. I mean, Dan, how did you get into Doctor Who? Like, well, well, I grew up um, in the late 80s in it for a couple of years uh, in that point. I was growing up in a suburb west of London called Perivale, which may become a point later. We'll come back to that later. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, I got, that meant I grew up with the, the last, really the last three uh, seasons of Doctor Who ever, of the classic Who ever, with uh, Sylvester McCoy as uh, my, my Doctor, for better mm-hmm. or worse. Um, and, yeah, oh, yeah, and then, but the year after that, we moved to 
Australia, I was nine. I was a bit lost. I, I was homesick. I was looking for something to connect me back to home. And I was in a library with my mum and we found, I found like a, one of the old, there's a series of novelizations, target novelizations, just um, books of old episodes. Mm. Uh, and when I stumbled upon that, I just started reading them and because uh, devouring them because it was kind of a link to home for me. Mm. Um, and then uh, I grew up sort of watching it whenever it was on ABC, which is I think the same for you guys. Yep, mm. absolutely. Probably the same mm. for you, Steve. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then, yeah, you fast forward 20 years later uh, and I met Steve. I'm not actually, I don't think we remember actually how we met, but I've known his sister for many years. Mm. But it was at a dinner. It was, it was. And if you're not going to tell the story, I will. Um, <laughs> It was over dessert when um, (laughs) rice pudding was being passed around and Dan happened. I heard Daniel say unlimited rice pudding, which is a line from the classic Remembrance of the Daleks, which is one of the serials that we'll be looking at shortly. I can't believe Um, I said that. I don't remember it. I must have muttered it very quietly to myself because I wouldn't. I picked up on it. it. The first thing I said was, how do you know that? What, What did you just say? And it was clear very much from the start that uh, I suppose you knew also about Doctor Who, which was quite um, unusual at the time, I suppose. Growing up, it was very much a a solitary thing. Mm. I came to it via the target novelizations exclusively, pretty much, Mm. in the Mount St. Thomas Public School Library uh, back in primary school days. Um, So it was very much a literary medium for me, and I think that's very much how it's remained at its core. but I remember meeting then Colin. It would have been what? New well, Year's Eve. It was New Year's Eve. Of two, 2011. 2011. This yeah, New Year's Eve will be ago. our five-year anniversary <laughs> of all meeting each other for the first time Isn't together. That amazing? Yeah, it is quite amazing. Yeah, and I remember the, the night where uh, Jan and I were there and we got obviously talking about Doctor Who again. Somehow. Massive at a, nerds. At a pub. At on, a pub. On, on, on New Year's Eve. Eve. On New Year's Eve. We're talking about Doctor Who. What a pack of dogs. And he mentioned, oh, there's a friend of his is here. Uh, also a Doctor Who fan and I just thought no don't do this it's, it's New Year's Eve we're having a few drinks let's just not be nerds for I can't tonight. believe this is the way round it happened <laughs> yeah, well, it's really hard to believe I, I find it interesting how everyone remembers things individually maybe <laughs> but yeah we memory cheats I definitely would have been <laughs> the same way if Colin dragged us together I would have what? Been like, I, don't I didn't do that <laughs> I didn't do that it was you but you I'm were so... like come and meet Steve come and meet Steve <laughs> oh yeah <that's> <laughs> But I'm so glad because it would have been maybe a week or two later that we all gathered around at my place uh, mm. to watch Remembrance. Well, because we, we made a all, pact. We, did. we, we made a pact that night Colin before the I. strike of 12. We, <laughs> the three of us stood huddled there and we talked about Doctor Who and we talked about Remembrance of the Daleks. Mm-hmm. We'd had a few. And we yeah. had had a few. And sometimes, you know, ideas when genuine after a few don't always pan out in the sober light of day. We made a pact. We made a pact that we were going to get together and Steve offered uh, to have us over his place to watch Remembrance of the Daleks together with the idea maybe that we would continue watching Doctor Who together as well. And we, we swapped numbers. We did. And Colin and I contacted each other a couple of days later. I was like, it's not going to happen. We were like, it? we're not going to do that. That's yeah. crazy. That's, I don't want to yeah. do that. I think partly because, like you said, I think we all came to it in a solitary way. Certainly mm. for me, like my whole life watching it or reading it. Uh, we were used it's to always, being alone. Well, it's always, well, it's always something I've done by, my, by myself. Yeah. Not that it's not that I've, you know, not that it's here or there, but I've never shared it with anyone, and yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I don't know that I really ever really wanted to. Um, even t- even talking about it to you guys was a bit odd, and certainly making a podcast about it is pretty <laughs> yeah, weird for me. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I think you're right, and also the fact that it, it was a very different time. Maybe Doctor Who wasn't very cool for a while there, mm. unlike now, where it's got enormous cultural cachet and capital, and and it. Um, 
it looks, you know, wonderful and expensive and mm. looks like it's come out of Hollywood, whereas perhaps we were more used to, you know, homely special effects. <laughs> so like we said before, uh, this podcast is... It's a little, mostly it's a, an excuse for three dorks to um, talk smack about one of their favorite shows. But we also kind of wanted to make it an intro for new fans or fans of the new series to find a jumping in point for, for Classic Who. And sorry for Classic Who fans that are hearing me whittle on about stuff you already know. But if you're a new Who fan only, you're used to these nice, concise, tight, 45-minute action-packed episodes. Maybe a double here and there. But mm. with old Who, you often get... Four twenty-two to twenty-five minute episodes, mm -hmm. which is almost—it's about an hour and a half to two yeah, hours. Yeah, yeah. And the full part it was kind of a standard, but I mean, it stretched quite often in the seventies to sixes or eights or mm -hmm. even twelves at one point. And so. that's another rule. That's one of the one of the sort of limits we set ourselves. We're mm. going to keep it to four parters, keep it punching, keep it tight. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Standalone stories. Um, yeah. No story arcs like the Keith Time, which is hard not to choose. At least to begin with. At least to begin with, we're just sort of uh, we're focusing on just stories that stand alone, and they're all effectually going to be great jumping off points, aren't they? Yeah, I think so. I think it's important that when we start this, and we're yeah. trying to get um, people to access old classic episodes of Doctor Who, um, who perhaps have felt a bit lost in trying to do so previously, we really want to pick out the best ones that aren't referencing back to continuity that you need to read mm -hmm. up in Encyclopedia or on Wikipedia mm -hmm. or yeah. the internet. It's really just about, does this story stand up mm -hmm. um, as, a, as a piece of television? Not a modern piece of television, obviously. I mean, we're talking about things that are produced in the 60s, 70s and 80s and you need to take that for what it's worth. Yeah. But still stories that are beautiful examples of what television was yeah. at that time. Yeah, yeah. a word on those four-parters. Something that oh. we'll probably come back to quite a lot over in these episodes is... The, when you get four episodes of 22 minutes each, they've got a, <laughs> they have to stretch out the story sometimes. We, and we, we do love to come to the filler, the, mm. the classic episode three. Often around episode three. Around yeah, episode three, yeah, two and three. The they have yep. to put bits where people are running down corridors. Yeah. They're often going between uh, the, the lab. lab to the castle. To the, the, to the base, <laughs> back to the lab. We're going to go back to the base. We're going to go back to the lab. So yeah. it's just people going between and you're just like... Oh, a lot of walking in rooms. Can't you just do it <laughs> yeah. in the lab? So when you get to the bit where they're walking between rooms constantly, that's yeah, where you're in is. the filler. You're, you're in the filler zone. zone. Yeah. And yeah. on that, I suppose we should also mention that we do, we do love the show and we do take it seriously, but mm. we also like to tease it a bit and we do make fun of it where it, where it needs to be yeah. made fun of, especially the filler parts. It's healthy. It's healthy. Yeah. It's healthy to do that. Yeah, we do love the show. Um, but we're could not could I it. could I also mention as well? I like down down to the sort of ground rules. We've sort of we also decided early on that we wouldn't be doing things like regeneration stories. Yeah, I, th I think again, it sort of ties onto that point we were talking about the continuity. We we really want episodes to be able to stand alone. Yeah, uh, and so not not having to reference back to previous doctors or future doctors is mm. something that um, it was part of that remit, I suppose, yeah. So so no first episodes of Tom Baker or... Yeah, or, or indeed doctors. last episode. Or last episode. Yeah, things like that, yeah. At least not yet. No, not yet. No. For now, it's uh, just about having a bit of fun but and yeah. appreciating something. And if anyone is looking for a jumping-off point to get into Classic Who, you probably couldn't get a better one than episode one of An Unearthly Child. I think you're right. It has everything. Yeah. Everything you're ever going to need in that one episode alone, and you don't have to watch the other three. I mean, watch them. It's a great story. But yeah. that one episode... It's a four-parter. Yeah. But the first episode is really separate from the other three. It's just an I intro. So. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's yeah. 1963. Yeah. Um, an old man and a box. 
And uh, it's it's just an intro. It sort of tells you everything you need to know about the show. It's I, wonderfully paced. Yeah, I think I, I think you're both right. Um, we we have in terms of an unearthly child, a perfect beginning. We have the introduction of the character of the Doctor as a mysterious traveller mm. who, um, um, you know, lives in the TARDIS along with actually his granddaughter Susan, um, mm. who's been attending the local high school where two teachers, Ian and Barbara, um, have become intrigued by this enigma of a, of a girl mm. and follow her home in the English fog. Extremely illegal, I might add, <laughs> to follow a student home yeah, at night. Yeah, a 16-year-old girl. Snoop around her backyard. Uh, a 16-year-old girl played by 20-something Caroline Ford. Yeah, yeah, she was actually was married. And, and, uh, she was had, married? Had already had a child at yeah, that stage. Yeah. yeah, it was the 60s, man, early yeah. 60s. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, uh, what I loved about it also in that just in that one episode is the way because it is the first introduction of Doctor Who it's the first time it's ever been seen mm. uh, nobody knows what's going to happen next with it really it really it, I liked how it evolved slowly over those 23 minutes from a drama into a science fiction yeah it's like a BBC drama yeah just because like it really was today. it mm. really revolved around these two teachers concerned for the welfare of this one student and it wasn't until the meeting with her grandfather the doctor and then the subsequent mm. you know discovery of the TARDIS console room that things sort of they get turned on their head, mm. and it becomes something completely different. Yeah, it just throws you for a loop. And I was, I was when we were watching it last, I was trying to imagine what it would have been like to watch it as a kid in '63. Oh, I mean, there's plenty of good sci-fi around at the time for for a long time. Yeah, uh, in books and probably on TV, but but without the internet and without, I mean, they must have had the, the TV guide or something like that to tell them tell them vaguely what it was going to be. Yeah, uh, well, uh, they must I have advertised it. I'm, I believe it was advertised as an adventure in space and time uh, with Doctor Who. That was pretty go. much what it was advertised. But even as. that's like nothing. I mean, if, if you're a little a you know, kid and you uh, you, ha- you just had your tea and you're about to watch mm. it, I think you benefited from the fact that it was scheduled in between the football and bandstand. Mm. Um, <laughs> Perfect family time. Yeah, it was actually, and it actually became you know for decades afterwards a Saturday tea time viewing as yeah, it is that's right. even now. Mm. Yeah, um, and it's at this point I suppose that the episode really starts to turn away from the UK drama of the early 60s that are familiar in the play for today because it is format yeah. into well doctor who. we meet we meet the doctor susan's yeah. grandfather and, and he's met- quite familiar until that point because they're in they're talking in a classroom like mm, a, yeah like a stereotypical 60s science classroom with uh, mm. beakers and retort stands they're in a car but there's you know it's this all familiar stuff like studio lining yeah they're just having a conversation it's all pretty bbc and then they end up in a junkyard which is studio lit as well yeah and then, oh, you had a great point about um, it was very Matt Smith sort of when you see the Doctor in the junkyard. Yeah, so our first introduction of the Doctor is he comes in maybe 15 minutes into the episode and it's that sort of delayed response mm. or delayed start rather of the character or delayed introduction which I think really works quite well. It builds up that mystery about who is this character. We've seen it before in, in other examples of even classic literature going as far back as Odysseus in, um, with Homer in the Odyssey. It's not actually until book five that Odysseus, that Odysseus actually turns up. Uh, and in, in the meantime, I suppose, what happens is that this mystery around the character and who he is starts to build and build in the same way that it does around Susan as well, I suppose. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and he is just this enigma. He, is, he looks like an Edwardian scientist who's well out of his time. Mm. And... Uh, I suppose he's quite confronted by these two teachers in the, in the junkyard, and you can see him picking things up from mm. around the junkyard <laughs> in a very Matt Smith kind of way. Yeah, as say, yeah. Or, he starts off so harmless and kind mm. of a dorky um, old man, sort yeah. of looking around his junkyard and being confused. Yeah. And he very rapidly becomes affronted and mm. annoyed that they're in his they're in his space. Mm. Uh, they're trying to find his granddaughter. Mm. You know, it's none of your business. He's behaving secretively. He's behaving sort of suspicious. Weirder and so and weirder. Im- immediately raising their suspicions as well. Mm. Um, and of course, it's moments like that 
William Hartnell's first moments on screen as the Doctor. Yeah. That for me, concreted him as our Doctor. I thought he it was, was incredible. Crucial to get it right. Yeah. As quickly absolutely. as possible. And it, and it's it's a story told all the way down the last fifty years. When the role chooses the actor rather than the actor choosing the role, it's <laughs> when someone's the doctor, you just know. It's Cole, you've mentioned this before. I think yeah. you're spot on. Mm. Um, I think of what Colin said before is that you can spot the doctor, you can recognise mm-hmm. him upon first sight. Mm. Um, and it, it's true. And I think back to the unveiling of Capaldi back in 2013 and even before he reached for his lapels and held it in a very yeah. Hartnell-esque fashion... Yeah. You just looked at him and thought, yep. My heart skipped a beat. That's the Doctor. And and I think I get the same feeling as well from Hartnell. Mm. First Mm. time on the screen. Yeah. That is clearly the Doctor. Yeah. And yet there's always that subtle, or sometimes not so subtle, reinterpretation of the basics of that character. Which are fundamentally set up in those first 23, 24, 25 Those few lines in the the TARDIS, which we're about to go into, this crucial moment, um, which is so important. Um, They follow him in. I mean, they're trying to... They're trying to find <sighs> Susan and they, they end up breaking their way in. And this is my favourite bit because... Mm, mine too. Because until then, you got Ian and Barbara, two teachers. They're the adults. They're, they're chasing a child after a child. Uh, and they're, they're in control. They're, they're authority figures. That's right. And yeah. also Ian, who's a bit of a knob. He's uh, very... Mansplains his way to Barbara the whole way through <laughs> the does. episode. Up yeah. until this point. He's explaining things to her. What is it, what's his line? He says, uh, I always... I take things as they come. <laughs> he says it with such a... He's, the, he's so great. Uh, and... But then when, when they walk into the TARDIS, he's immediately, he flips out immediately because yeah. he can't handle yeah. the sand. Cut to Barbara. Barbara's pretty cool about it. Yeah. <laughs> I love Barbara. Cool as ice. But yeah. they flip from being the adults who are in control to being the children in that situation. And the yeah. doctor's the adult, which yeah. is so cool. And he's in control. Yeah. yeah. And it's very quick and they don't, you know, they, they go, they move straight along, I, but it's just a great moment. We were, we were talking earlier, Steve, about that shot. Uh, when we see the console room for the first time in Doctor Who history, yeah. and it's from the point of view of Barbara, yeah. and it just—it was so crucial to get it right, and it is so yeah. confronting it's great. and alien. It's alien. It's, it's a, perfect. It is. Like, it, that's the word. It's a perfect moment in television. The first thing that we see is Barbara's reaction to what yeah. the inside of this impossible box is like, yeah. and the look of. I suppose shocking, you know, not being able to comprehend what you're seeing, and then mm. it pans yeah. to quite a beautifully composed shot of Susan mm. by the console, looking so vulnerable yeah. and worried. Obviously, because of the implications of the discovery. I mean, yeah, sorry, I'll let you keep going. No, you're, you're quite right. I mean, she, you know, there's she, there's that line. What are you doing here? Mm. Um, and she's absolutely perplexed as to why she's why they're there, but. Uh, all of a sudden, that, that switch in the drama goes from you know, the BBC kitchen mm-hmm. sink into a science fiction show, and yeah. things will never be the same again. I believe these people are known to you. They're two of my school teachers. What are you doing here? Where are we? They must have followed you. That ridiculous school. I knew something like this would happen. We stayed in one place too long. I'm just trying to imagine like what it would be like for a kid in 63 to cold watch it for the first yeah. time. Like uh, we yeah. said before, yeah. we were talking about it earlier. Um, these kids who were watching it for the first time, they've got very little to go on about what it was going to be. Yeah. Uh, and they're just watching this like kind of... To a kid, it's kind of interesting because there's a weird teenager who's, who knows things that they yeah. don't know. Mm. They're following her. It's kind of interesting. And then they go into this police box. Mm. Yeah, that's all fine. But then you go in there and it's bigger on the inside. Mm. I must have just flipped the lids, man. I yeah. I think so, yeah. 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 Well, you were saying before about Susan, I think it's a really important point, her being an audience identification figure as well, mm. as, as, well as, I suppose, a, a figure of mystery to start with in that first episode, An Unearthly Child. I think it's very much mirrored also in that first season that we have of the, of the reboot with Christopher Eccleston as Doctor and Billy Piper as Rose. Rose being as the audience identification figure. Susan is that 
for the 1963 audience. Mm-hmm. You know, she's listening to all the, the latest music. On she's a transistor got, you know, radio. On a yeah. transistor radio, no, not an iPod. Yeah. yeah. Um, and she's got, you know, the trendy haircut and, uh, and, and the, and the mod, mod style. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, I think they would have, would have seen, I suppose, the 1963 equivalent of Rose in her. Once they're in the TARDIS... You've got to, you've got to, you have to quickly explain what's going on to the audience mm. <clears throat> and who these people are. There's this a couple of great lines that Steve um, loves because it just perfectly explains who he is, mm. where he's from, mm. and what you're in store for. We are not of this race. We are not of this earth. We are wanderers in the fourth dimensions of space and time, cut off from our own planet and our own people by eons and universes that are far beyond the reach of your most advanced sciences. And then there's the great that great Ian line. Yeah, Ian's reaction is wonderful. I know that free movement in the fourth dimension of space and time is a scientific dream I didn't expect to find solved in a junkyard. Oh, oh yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is an incredibly clever summation of a preposterous concept which underpins yeah. the entire show. Yeah. But if you're a kid, you just, you're just you like, cool, that's where we're going. That's, yep. I'll accept that. Yeah. That's great. And then that kind of sets it. And like you said, they don't really... They don't delve into any detail because like, they probably didn't have any detail at that point. But a then, lot. Uh, they and it's. I like that they don't in early who. There's not. They don't keep referencing themselves. There's not a lot of callback to previous episodes. You don't have to know. Like you can jump into it at any time. Mm. They only really talk about time lords and where they're from. Like a little bit of Trout and a little bit of Pertwee later on. Yeah. Yeah. It gets slightly revealed. You don't really um, get much time lord stuff until no, until Tom Baker until really seventies and the eighties. Yeah. yeah. And that's great. I like that. Like I like how mm. early who doesn't have a lot of. They don't talk about themselves a lot, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, I do. Actually, one thing that I wanted to bring up uh, to do with an unearthly child, it's it's just in the last few minutes of the episode when we see the TARDIS in flight for Mm. the first time on our screen. Yes. um, it's pretty great. I guess in a way they didn't really know how, how they were going to really go about it in future stories and episodes. It's the first time they'd ever done it. So it's a little bit strange. I think, Dan, you said at one point, it's, it's, like, they've all, it's like they've all got a headache. Yeah, <laughs> it's, they all, uh, they're all yeah. dancing. And they pass yeah. out. And yeah. The camera goes in and out of focus. Yeah. So without warning, the doctors basically kidnaps Ian and Barbara, takes them by force with him and Susan, wrenches them out of London, <laughs> out of 1963, out of their lives. Yeah, you see London recede. Yeah, you like see an aerial shot. Is it a model? Or yeah, yeah it's, a, it's, it's an aerial shot of London. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's like they're flying, I guess. And then we get the uh, the uh some of the special effects from the intro sequence from oh, the episode. Yeah. The vortex. Superimposed over the top. That's, that's the vortex. That's so cool, because I didn't realise that was meant to be the time vortex until All right. the dematerialisation yeah. sequence. And then we get that one shot that's become so iconic with Doctor Who. So cool. That's where they materialise on the barren landscape and it's yeah. it's like a wasteland and the TARDIS is tilted which yeah, is yeah really absolutely like. and, and the light's blinking it's such so a great good. shot yeah. and then the shadow of uh, it's going to be a caveman because they've yeah. gone back to 10,000 years yeah, back yeah, in the that's past right, yeah. I um, love that I love the shadow the, is so cool it's yeah. wonderful the three elements of that yeah. composition you have the incongruous appearance of the TARDIS on this yeah. alien landscape which is actually pretty yeah. historic the police box mm. shouldn't be there like just shouldn't exactly be. It's, mm. it's totally out of time and place and then there's that menace the the, mm. the shadow what a hook is, to bring you back the it next really week. is so good mm. I remember that the first time I saw an earthly child in the 90s I must have been a teenager I was waiting for it to come on TV ABC yeah on the ABC yeah uh I remember the first episode I liked and the other three were just kind of, they're a little bit, they, mm. well, they were slow, but I, I just didn't enjoy them personally. But the yeah. first one is just so good because mm. the context of the TV at the time, I mean, mm. Steve, you want to talk about it? Yeah, I, I think it's really important because Doctor Who starts on the 23rd of November, 1963. It's the day after JFK is assassinated. Yeah. It's, it, it's been almost a year in production behind the scenes in the mm. BBC. Um, and the BBC at that point is a very sort of, 
well, it's a, it's a public institution. It, it's it's very much informed by a educate and entertain ethos, I suppose. Yeah. And and this is something that we find in in the series from its start at its core, and and is really something that that continues throughout for, for the decades. At the start of this show, at its core, we have an intent that's noble and pure. And I think that's wonderful and I think it's worth commenting on. Mm. Isn't it interesting how many staples that are in that episode that have actually lasted all through? And it's yeah. even down to little things like the hum of the TARDIS. It's there. Yeah, From moment in, one that they walk into that room, it's hum. there. And it's been used ever since. I love the hum. I love... As soon as you hear it, you know, no matter what's... No matter what you're looking at, no matter what part of the TARDIS, you always know that's where you are. You're in the TARDIS as soon as you hear that hum. Yeah. It's very familiar. It's like home. It is. Mm. There's that sort of wonderful white noise kind of Mm. aspect to it um, as well. Almost as though you could fall asleep listening to it. Do they have a hum in the new new one? Is there some Uh, kind of background noise? There is a background noise, yeah. 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 Whether it's it's that hum. The same one. I'm not sure. I'm not exactly sure. But yeah, but it's there nonetheless. We also get the sets, I suppose. What we have from the start... With the console, which we obviously still have, yeah. There's the roundels on the on the sides as well, as well as the scanner. I think all of these things there they undergo their own kind of regeneration and redesign. Mm. But essentially, that format that we see in that first design is yeah. something that continues and is included uh, in the show even to today, until today. Did you guys notice with the TARDIS console room that uh, the roundels and the background on the walls were actually painted on fabric <laughs> and they were they were actually hung there in the background? Um, obviously... Uh, I'm going to say it's 1963, it's yeah. post-war Britain, we're not yeah. long out of rationing. Mm. The BBC isn't the rich organisation back then that it is now. Yeah. Uh, and I think you have to appreciate that for what it is. I, I could not agree more. People always made fun of the... The shaky sets, yeah. the, you know, all the reduced sets, all the, the special effects. But you know what? You've got to look past it. I think you have to look past it. Otherwise, yeah, you you're not going to be able to appreciate it. I think the you've got to incorporate it. it. You've got to, like, you have to love those crappy <laughs> yeah. sets. You've got to <laughs> love those rubber monsters. This I do. That, yeah. They're ridiculous. Sometimes yeah. they're, they look terrible. Sometimes they look great. Some of those models look mm. look amazing. Yeah, and you know that someone's built that. Yeah. Out of that, you know, out of nothing, out of a 50p. Yeah, if you don't love it. Yeah, if you can't love that, then you. Oh, absolutely. But this is the important thing. There's some. Damn strong writing underneath all that. Mm. Those scripts yes. are solid. Though, you know, <laughs> not always. And we're probably maybe <laughs> at a later date we may come come around to doing some of our favourite terrible episodes. <laughs> yeah, we love because precisely. Yeah, they are so well, we can awful. mock the cluster <laughs> bell sound out of those. Yeah. <laughs> all right, guys. So yeah. what about next week? What are we doing? H, well, well, I've actually chosen next week's story. All right. Um, well, it should already be up next to the uh, <laughs> next to the other one. So, yeah. so, so happened, mysteriously yeah. introducing it, it's not going to work. Maybe someone hasn't looked that far. I don't know. <laughs> they haven't looked next to the sorry, icon of this sorry, one. Sorry, Cole. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, you guys already know, as Dan's just ruined, uh, it's Terror of the Zygons. Classic. I've thought it was pretty prudent to choose a Tom Baker, actually, to begin with. It's just a really, um, really good entry point. Yeah. Just, like, easy to digest, very oh, funny. So many good Tom Bakers. Yeah. Also, also, Tom Baker, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's the classic Doctor, isn't he? Yeah, he, I reckon he's probably the most recognisable face in classic yeah, Who. I don't think, I I think, think that yeah. anyone could argue otherwise. And so, he's, he was in the role for seven years. Now. Longer That's than like anyone else, so like twice long. as long. Yeah, and when, yeah. when people think of Doctor Who and when it's referenced in things like The Simpsons, it is that incarnation. Yeah. It's Always the that incarnation. Long scarf, the yeah. floppy hat, the, the curly long hair. curly hair. Yeah. Teeth and curls. Teeth yeah. and curls. Terror of the Zygons. So it's, uh, we've got 
Okay, got you got familiar doctor to most people. Yeah. Great. Okay. I want familiar monster. Uh, I think so because the Zygons. Now, Terror of the Zygons is the only story in the classic series that has the Zygons, mm. but has since been reintroduced into the canon. Stephen Moffat's brought the Zygons back mm. in Day of the Doctor, the fiftieth special, and of course, series uh, nine. Yes. So there's a link there to New Who as well as with the classics. It's a unit story, and now we're talking old-fashioned unit. We're, we're talking, talking fun. Yeah. Seventies unit. We're talking shoot 'em ups. We're talking action by havoc. We're, oh man, Action he, by Havoc is so funny. Yeah. Action by Havoc. Um we've got the Brigadier, we've got Benton, we've got Yates. Sarah, yeah. Jane uh, Smith. We may both agree on this, Dan. She, she is our favourite companion. She's my favourite companion. Yeah. Uh, whilst I have to <laughs> Yeah. I have my own favourites and it'll become apparent later on. Yep. I have to objectively say that probably the Tom Baker Sarah Jane Smith pairing is probably the, the yeah. definitive classic yeah. incarnation of Doctor and Consistent. I love her with Harry. So Harry's in this yeah. as well. So it's a good place for us yeah. to start next yeah. uh, next episode. I like the dynamic between all three of them. I think it's great. Yeah. All right. So mm. I suppose we've set some homework for our listeners. Yeah, if they absolutely. Want to go and watch uh, Terror of the Zygons. Yeah, we may not have said already, but I guess we're kind of assuming that you've watched it before you listen to the podcast. Yeah. I tell you what, if you haven't got around to seeing it yet, and you're listening to the next episode, there's going to be a point we're going to let you know. We're going to we're going to get into yeah. the the meat. The, the, the meat <laughs> of the carcass. I don't know quite what I'm saying there. Is this a sandwich yeah. metaphor? Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah, I like sandwiches. We all just had a sandwich together. Yeah, we did. That. <laughs> we did actually. Have we a were trying to record sandwich. our first ever podcast, and a neighbourhood lawnmower man just started doing the verges, so we had to uh, take break for a, lunch. Take a break for lunch. And we had some very nice French baguettes. We, we did. <laughs> um, and there were many more baguettes, many more sandwiches. This is not going come. in. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely going in. <laughs> So, you know, yeah, there'll be a point. There'll be a point where we'll let you know that if, you, if you'd prefer to watch the story before you listen to our points of view and, you know, points of view to do with the storyline largely, then I will let you know. So that's it from us pretty much. Uh, like we said before, please forgive uh, our, our uselessness uh, yeah. and our uh, probably <laughs> expletives as well that we'll try and, we'll try and bleep out. But, yeah. uh, you'll, be, you'll become fond of our fumbling mm, either that yeah. or you'll just won't listen to the next one <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, in all seriousness uh, we really do hope that you'll be listening to us next time uh, and until then I think it's probably good night night An Unearthly Child was first transmitted on the BBC from the 23rd of November to the 14th of December 1963 and it was written by Australia's own Anthony Coburn Special thanks go to artist Alistair Pearson for the use of his cover painting for the 1990 reprint of the Doctor Who Target novelisation An Unearthly Child by Terence Dix. Thank you, Alistair. As children, our imaginations were set alight by your paintings and we adore your stuff here at New To Who. You can either buy An Unearthly Child on DVD from BBC Online or buy the episodes on iTunes. You can follow us here at New To Who on Facebook and Twitter at New To Who Podcast or even email us at newtowhopodcast at gmail.com. All New To Who podcast episodes can be found to stream on our website www.newtowho.com and you can also click subscribe on iTunes. We hate goodbyes, so it's until next time. Thanks for joining us. sand and hear the cries of strange birds and watch them wheel in another sky would that satisfy you